Hello and welcome. Thank you for clicking on this episode. You're listening to Retold, a podcast where I review and analyze modern retellings of ancient history and mythology. I'm your host, Sophia, and in this episode, which is the first real episode, I mean, I've had episodes before which you should definitely go listen to, but those were more like, um, I guess, precursors. They weren't, they were like, set up episodes, um, but this is, like, the first actual retelling, the, this is the first episode actually covering a retelling of the entire podcast, so I'm really excited, um, the retelling I'm covering today is one that's really popular among a lot of different groups, I would say, um, it's probably the most popular, um, mythological retelling of the or novel-wise, of the 21st century. I don't know if it would beat out Troy 2004 if we were branching out in terms of medium, but definitely out of all the novels, definitely it's both probably the most popular to this day, as well as kind of like a trailblazer in the realm of mythological retelling. So, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. I think other people have a lot of thoughts, and... I think it's a book that's really interesting to talk about because we have so many pers- different perspectives and we are there are like so many alter- differing views on it. So, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about it. And yeah, that book is The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. I think you probably already guessed that, but yeah, let's just dive right in. Episode 2 of Season 1 of Retold, The Song of Achilles, by Madeline Miller. So before I start discussing the actual book, I would like to point out to everyone, if you um, have been listening since the very beginning, I doubt you have, but if you have, then thank you so much, as usual, for sticking it out. Um, I've... When I first started the podcast, uh, I was thinking about, you know, the types of retellings that I normally consume and for, and, you know, the, the types of mythology and history that I personally have more knowledge about and, um, am able to speak more about with more, again, knowledge. And that for me was definitely ancient Greek and Roman stuff. And I figured, you know, that's the that's kind of the realm that I know most about. That's where my knowledge lies. That's where my the majority of my interest lies because, you know, it's very mainstream cons- compared to other uh history and mythology, ancient history and mythology from other cultures at least in the United States. Um and it's also like I personally that's I definitely there are there is there have been a lot of recent um, retellings of other mythologies and sometimes other histories, ancient specifically. I I haven't seen a lot of ancient history stuff from 
very diverse cultures around the world, but maybe, maybe, um, there have been some, and, yeah, but I, they, the scope of those retellings definitely does not even come close to how many, uh, Roman, ancient Roman and Greek retellings there have been in recent times, and that's kind of why I decided to focus mainly on those civilizations, because, again, I know more about them, and I can speak about them in a more intelligent manner, and that's just, like, where the majority of the content comes from. However, I was thinking, you know, like, ideally we would see in future, um, in future years, uh, a rise in popularity of retellings from other cultures and other civilizations. I personally think that, you know, that would be great if that happened. Um, I think it is happening slowly. Definitely, those civilizations, mythologies, and histories aren't necessarily, aren't at all getting as much attention in the in the uh, novel industry or TV industry as Roman Greece, but as someone who does hope for that to change, I think that uh, I was thinking that I should just like leave room for that to happen. Um, I'm hoping to do this podcast for a long time, and I think that, you know, who knows, maybe a lot more retellings will be coming out in the future, that, so that I can make actual seasons out of a specific topic from a different civilization, um, that's not, it doesn't seem to be completely possible right now, however, again, I'm just leaving room for that to happen, bear in mind, and that's why, um, that's why I've changed the podcast kind of branding to just ancient mythology and history rather than specifically Greco-Roman, um, because I think it is important to have that, have perspectives from civilizations around the world and to celebrate the, the mythologies and histories of all peoples. Um, bear in mind that for at least the first few seasons or for the next few years, I will be focusing, there will be a heavy focus on Greece and Rome still, simply because, again, there just are so many more retellings to talk about, but, and those are the ones I also know a lot about, um, if I were to delve into other mythologies or histories, I would have to do a lot of research, um, and I think that, you know, since there aren't that many retellings, I think I would want to hold off on that research until, uh, I'm able to create a season out of one of those alternate, of one of those civilizations, mythologies or histories so therefore yeah again that's kind of all i had to say about this um i'm rebranding the podcast doesn't really matter because there's very few people who actually listen thank you to everyone who has been listening so far um but i figured you know if i should you know who knows what's gonna happen if if the if it if the retelling realm con- continues to be dominated by Greece and Rome, then maybe I'll just keep doing very Greco-Roman centered stuff. But I want to leave that opportunity in case um, the industry pleasantly surprises me. Um, 
so yeah i think that's all i had to say about that that's why i've also changed the intro um i'm gonna go back and uh put a little clip of me from now saying that you know I'm saying in these episodes that this is Greco-Roman. It's changed by, since then. That's why the cover art is slightly different, etc. And that's why the title is different, etc., etc. Um, so yeah, I just thought, you know, that's a piece of information that people might be confused by. So I just thought I'd explain it before we get into DSOA. Um, and now, let's just get into that. Um, I've already spent enough time dilly-dallying. Um, so... The Song of Achilles. Again, this is a retelling that um, is very popular, very well known. A lot of people have consumed it, and not just people who have consumed the mythology, and like not just people who are interested in the mythology, because I think The Song of Achilles was created, was written at a time where there wasn't this niche of people who are looking for Greek mythology retellings, like there is nowadays, I think that um, in that time, the the novel was really just a general audience's novel. Like, it wasn't, necess- it wasn't necessarily placed in the genre of mythology retellings, because that genre didn't really, didn't really, there weren't enough retellings in the genre for it to actually be a genre by that time, you know what I mean? Um, you know, there were, there definitely were some really, really important, uh, books that were released before The Song of Achilles that were, um, a similar, actually, that were a similar, um, like, type of mythology, uh, retelling. Um, I'm thinking specifically the book by Margaret Atwood, The Penelope Ad, which, I'll also be covering that in a future season. Um, that was released in 2005, and I think that that's just an example of one that was released before The Song of Achilles. So I'm not saying that The Song of Achilles created this genre. I'm saying that by the time that it was written, there hadn't been nearly enough for it to really be marketed towards simply just myth- mytho- mythology fans. You know what I mean? And obviously there was also Percy Jackson. Anyway, um, so I think that's really interesting because there's a lot of exposition in the Song of Achilles. There's a lot of explanation about the myth because Madeline Miller isn't assuming that these people know the myth already, um, which is interesting. Uh, I I think she does a really good job doing that, um, does a really good job of realizing these people don't know as much about myth as I do, and I should, you know, provide some explanations. It's like that, it's like when someone writes a series, and then the second book, it's like full of, like, just what happened in the first book. Like, not definitely, not necessarily full, but like, there has to be a lot of explanation about what happened in the first book in case anyone missed it. Um... Yeah, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe I should just talk about what The Song of Achilles is first. Um, The Song of Achilles is a book written by Madeline Miller. She is a classicist, uh, I believe, who graduated from Brown University. um, And I think now it is like, teaches ancient Greek and Latin. Not sure what level of um, education she teaches for. 
I should probably have looked that up before. <laughs> um, she's also a novelist, obviously, considering that she's written this novel. And also another really famous one called Circe. Um, I'm not sure if she actually teaches teaches anymore because I know that she said in her Song of Achilles author blurb that she teaches still. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, but anyway, so the Song of Achilles, in summary, is a book, <laughs> as I'm sure you gathered. Um, it's, again, by song by Madeline Miller, and it's about basically the life of Achilles and also the rest of the Trojan War from the perspective of Patroclus. Now, if you've listened to my episode about just telling the original myth of the Trojan War, you know who those two people are, you know what the Trojan War is, you know basically everything, all the myths that we're going to discuss in this book, that are discussed in this book, save for probably a few. Um, I definitely think that you, if you haven't, I definitely think that you should go listen to that episode because it is like... The whole point of that episode is to kind of prep for the retellings and give you a baseline knowledge of the myth before we get into more discussion about how that myth has been adapted by these various authors. Um, I won't be doing much exposition or whatever it's called. I won't be like recapping the myth unless I didn't talk about it in the Trojan War or I could, or I might go more into detail, but definitely anything, I won't be really repeating anything I said in that episode, so I definitely do recommend that you listen to that episode before continuing with this one. Um, but I guess I will kind of, I will kind of give, give reminders for those who don't really remember everything from those episodes, because obviously, you know, two hours, you can't remember everything. So, Patroclus is, remember, that guy who, when Achilles refused... Well, okay, first of all, Achilles is that guy who fought during the Trojan War. He wasn't one of the kings that had to go because of their oath, but he just was this guy who was just really good at killing. So, he went off to Troy for kind of just the glory, I guess. Um... And he was the one who refused to fight because Agamemnon uh, had taken his quote-unquote property, aka his, what's it called? Oh, right. Prize of Honor, we say. Um, and then Patroclus was the guy who um, was Achilles' quote-unquote friend, aka, well, at least in The Song of Achilles, they're lovers, and... Um, Patroclus is the one who, like, goes to Achilles after everyone's, all the Greeks are getting murdered, and is like, let me go and fight, um, and then he dresses up in Achilles' armor, and then is murdered, and then Achilles returns to battle because of Patroclus' death. He just wants to kill Hector, who is the guy who killed Patroclus. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
that's kind of just the synopsis of the book. Um, um, I guess I should go a little bit more in detail about the the book itself's plot because it's. I think it um, talks. It covers like uh, a period of time much bigger than the Trojan War and what we normally hear about Patroclus. So, um, if you don't want spoilers, don't really know why you're here, but I am just going to give a real quick spoiler-free um, synopsis before I go more in detail about my thoughts on the book. So, basically, the book starts off when Patroclus is with his his original family. Um, he was originally a prince uh, of some other nation. I don't think it's not important, but I think it's called like Opus or something. Um, and he basically he accidentally kills um, another boy as a child. He kills another boy over a game of dice, and then he gets exiled because he's murdered, you know, another person. Um, and he gets sent into exile, and then he's eventually adopted by um, Achilles' father, Peleus, in, uh, in, the, in his city, Thya. And he meets Achilles, obviously, and eventually they kind of befriend each other, um... They become really good friends. Achilles chooses Patroclus for his companion. Um, kind of like a brother-in-arms situation. Uh, and then they just kind of have fun for a while. But then Patroclus basically um, kisses Achilles because, you know, they've been, you know, he's fallen in love with him. And he kisses him. And he immediately regrets this, but then um, he has no time to really apologize or, or like, talk. They don't really have time to talk about it because Achilles' mother, uh, the sea goddess Thetis, sends him away to uh, study with a centaur trainer named Chiron, who is, like, pretty famous in mythology. He's the trainer of a bunch of different really famous heroes like Heracles, Jason. Um, all sorts of people. Um, and, uh, I don't think this is actually canon in the mythology, or, uh, or at least I couldn't find any traces of evidence for this, but Patroclus does actually go with Achilles, because, not with Thetis' consent, but he goes with him, um, he basically chases after him, and they eventually both basically train under Chiron's tutelage, then they, then, uh, they, they hear word of the war, basically, and Achilles and Patroclus return to Thya, and, yeah, but then Thetis not wanting Achilles to go to war, she hides him away in an island called Skyros, um, and there, 
he gets with a girl, and we'll talk about more more in detail about that later. Um, and then Patroclus eventually goes after him, finds him. Um, the girl is resolved, and uh, and then these two other kings who were part of the suitors of Helen, Odysseus and Diomedes, come and retrieve Achilles. He's dressed as a woman on Skyros to disguise himself so that he doesn't have to go to war. Um, And Odysseus and Diomedes basically trick him into revealing his manhood. And he goes to Troy. And Patroclus goes with him. And... Yeah, all that, all the stuff that I said just happened, happens. Um, in this version, Briseis is not a, does not actually have, like, any sort of relationship with Achilles, but she is friends with Patroclus, which is interesting, and again, I'll also talk more about that later. But yeah, um, as you can see, the book, it follows... Achilles, I mean, it follows Patroclus' life, but really the book is about Achilles. Because, let's be honest, Patroclus' life is not that interesting. It's, I mean, it's called Song of Achilles for a reason. I think this is a good way to segue into what I think about the perspective. Because often, with retellings, what makes the retelling unique is the, at least for novels, is the perspective that you get like who is telling this story and how does that change what we think about this myth or story or whatever um and i think again that's really important and this is definitely an example of that because you know patroclus in the in the iliad or basically any uh retelling or original source for the uh, trojan war is not a very important character he's just a plot device. He is 100% a plot device, um, and it's always interesting to see, uh, someone who really isn't that important in the myth, seeing their perspectives, hearing their voice, which, you know, previously no one even thought that they really had thoughts, (laughs) but of course they do, they're human, so, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. We get to, I think, Patroclus's POV is interesting because it, Patroclus has a very black and white view of the world, and we'll talk about this more when I go into, like, the different characterizations, but Patroclus is, there are basically, there are bad people and good people in a way, um, there are people who he really romanticizes in his head, um, for one, Achilles, uh, I think that was kind of a given since, you know, they're romantically involved, um, but there are also examples like Peleus, like, he's really, like, he really likes Peleus, and that's Achilles' dad, um, he has these views, there are good people, and there are bad people, in Patroclus' mind, and you can really tell, based, you can really tell whether they're, he think, what he thinks of them based on how his, how how his narration is kind of biased, especially if you know the myth. Because the way he talks about Achilles is so... Um, he makes him sound so much better of a person than he is in any of the original sources. Whereas for a lot of other people, um, 
they're actually worse or they're just like personality less and kind of selfish and just like terrible and just like like not morally good any, in any way you know and sometimes actively bad um that's what i think is the most interesting about thing about patroclus's pov uh you we get a really different look on people's personalities and characters from patroclus's point of view because again he is so biased and he allows his biases to color his view of the world which i think a lot of people do i think it's very hard not to do that and i don't necessarily think that we should try not to do that but it's just very interesting in the way that it affects the storytelling um i will say patroclus like achilles's life like i don't think there could be any better person to talk about it than patroclus because achilles because patroclus is kind of the only person who has accompanied achilles his whole life so i think that that's a good person to use to talk about achilles because the book is about achilles it's not necessarily about the trojan war obviously they kind of go hand in hand but we get a lot of exposition for achilles that isn't necessarily important to the trojan war itself such as the didamia situation the his relationship to thetis um by the way if you haven't read the song of achilles um and you don't want spoilers i would advise first reading the book and then coming back and listening because this is not going to be spoiler free um if you're okay with not, um, if you're okay with not, like, if you're okay with spoilers, then feel free to do whatever you want. I can't. <laughs> I'm not your mother. But, yeah, that was just, I just wanted to disclaim that real quick. Um, yeah. So, as I was saying, uh, Patroclus, I feel like, is the only person who can give a very, very intimate view of Achilles, because no one really knows Achilles in the same way as Patroclus does, because he's been with him his whole life. Um, you know, his father isn't with him during the Trojan War. Uh, none of his soldiers, they're, he's their boss. Like, what? It's very unlikely that any of his soldiers would really have a very good understanding of who he is. Um... And his mom is just, like, I mean, his mom clearly doesn't really understand him either. Um, and I will say that, to a degree, Patroclus doesn't really understand him either. But they, they have a very intimate connection, but I don't think Patroclus necessarily th- sees things from Achilles' point of view. Or really understands some of the things he does. That could also because be because Achilles' actions are, for the most part, very rational. But, um, regardless... That's another thing why I like that Patroclus is the narrator because Achilles to have Achilles' point of view would just be so unbelievably like strange and undesirable. Like I would not I don't think I would enjoy that book. Um Because like again, his thoughts and actions are so irrational and also another thing is that he's not normal. I think that when we get like uh, narrations we really like to have a narration from a very normal perspective or just like a very relatable perspective and to have achilles that's neither of those things because achilles is literally like he's treated like a god in any of these retellings or really any of like the original sources either like he is the equivalent of a god i mean i know he's he's only he's i mean he does have the blood of a 
God, but he's not fully a God. But that's kind of how he's treated by the people around him. Um, and I just, I just don't know how someone would go about telling a story from his perspective because it's so not, it's so unrelatable. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that was kind of just what I wanted to say about the POV. Uh, also, Patroclus actually has like some degree of morality and he has some character development, minorly, so yeah. Whereas Achilles just doesn't listen to reason, and he's just kind of a terrible person, but Patroclus doesn't really realize that. Um, I think if we got the perspective of anyone besides Patroclus, including Achilles, we would hate Achilles. Um, personally, I don't really like Achilles that much, because I, I, cons- I read the, the Song of Achilles after I already knew the Trojan War story, but for those who are coming into TSOA without knowing anything about the original sources, probably like Achilles, like way more than anyone else um yeah so back to the thing about uh the like bias that patroclus's narration brings to the table uh, i think that's a good way to segue into the characterizations and i think the character characterizations are the most important part of any retelling i think because um it really shows you what this author is trying to do. It shows you what lesson this author is trying to teach. What is what aspect of the story of the original story is the author trying to bring out that may not be normally focused on? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't apply as much for this one, but for a lot of others, it does. Um. First, I guess we can talk about Patroclus. Patroclus is... I mean, his character is very interesting. I mean, it's not interesting. That's... It's interesting in the fact that it's not interesting, you know? Um, I think it's... it. The main character th- thing is kind of contributes to that because I think it's very hard to show a main character's personality. You wouldn't think so because you actually get their thoughts, but it is. Um, but... Okay, so Patroclus' character. Does he have character development? Yes and no. I think that, um, you know, near the very end of the novel, like, throughout the novel, Patroclus is very deferent to Achilles. I mean, I know that he... Achilles has never actively ordered him to do anything, but he's also never really stood up to Achilles. Um, and I don't think he's ever really realized... he Throughout the novel, he makes excuses for Achilles. Um, for example, there's this scene at the beginning of like the entire war when they're like sacking a nearby city, um, and Patroclus, he's... Achilles has come back, and he's, like, basically drunk on all the blood of his victims, <laughs> and he's talking about, like, how, I don't know if I should quote it or not, but he basically says, uh, he basically brags about how easy it was to kill everyone, um, and then Patroclus asks, how many did you kill, and then Achilles answers that he killed 12 men, and Patroclus at first is like, 
he's kind of like, my God, this guy is like a psychopath. I mean, I'll just give you the quote. Quote, unquote, 12 men with nothing at all to do with Paris or Helen or any of us. Farmers? There was a bitterness to my voice that seemed to bring him back to himself. And then Achilles basically makes an excuse for himself and says, you know, they were armed. As if that's an excuse. Obviously, they're going to arm themselves. They're farmers and you're a foreign... Like, they're going to try and fight back. They're not just going to... You know, because, like, they're not going to assume that you wouldn't kill an armed unarmed man. Um, and you probably would. Uh, evidence later on, I think. Um, I actually don't know if that part is mentioned. But in the Iliad, at least, there's this guy who, like, surrenders to Achilles and then he just murders him anyway. Um, yeah. But that's also after Patroclus' death, so I guess that's his excuse. That's his excuse. And then Patroclus asks, like, how many do you think you'll kill tomorrow? And he's asking this kind of, like, sarcastically. And then Achilles has the nerve to be hurt by this, um, by the fact that Patroclus is not feeling very good about the fact that his partner has just murdered 12 people, 12 basically innocent people. presumably innocent people, um, and Patroclus says that, quote, quote, the pain on his face struck me, and I was ashamed. Where was my promise that I would forgive him? I knew what his destiny was, and I had chosen to come to Troy anyway. It was too late for me to object simply because my conscience had begun to chafe. Chafe? I don't, yeah. I'm sorry, I said. Unquote. So here you have, um, basically Patroclus kind of starting to stand up to Achilles, right? Uh, and you're, and in your mind, it's like, oh, that's a little bit of character development. Like, he's seeing some sides to Achilles that are not very good. But then Achilles, like, basically guilt trips him into apologizing. And then Patroclus is like, no. This is his destiny. I can't think like that. And he's just making excuses for him. And it's just annoying. And then there's also... There's also a a later scene where... This is, like, way later. Um, They're talking about Hector's wife, Andromache. And they're talking about how she's from the city that... uh, Called Thebe. Um, and they're talking about how Achilles sacked that town and how he murdered all of Andromache's brothers. And then, um, Achilles tells Patroclus that, uh, he says, I remember that man, Yetion. He had eight sons, eight sons. They tried to hold us off. You killed them. An entire family slaughtered. He caught the look in my face, though I tried to not hide. I tried to hide it. Yes, I did. He, he, I'm, I'm bracketing it. You know, like he basically says, "Yeah, I killed them." Um, and then Patroclus says, "Patroclus is like, you know, again, like my God, this guy just like <laughs> killed this entire family with no remorse." And then, 
And then Achilles says, I left one son alive. He says, you know, I've left a, f a member of the family alive. And to the Greeks, this was considered merciful, but... Personally, I think it's, like, you still killed a man and seven of his sons. Like, that's... Leaving one man alive is just, like... Especially because it kind of, like, talks... We talk a lot about this in throughout the book, about how, you know, there's four, there's, I think it's mentioned first by Chiron, their um, centaur trainer, and it talks about how, he talks about how, like, it's worse to be left alive after everyone is dead, and later it's definitely reflected when Patroclus dies, and Achilles goes into a murderous rampage, like, to leave just one person alive and murder their entire family besides their sister who is in Troy. Like, you think this is mercy? And then Patroclus says, Patroclus is basically like, oh my god, Achilles is such a nice guy. He left this one guy. Um, this surviving son is gonna have kids and the family's gonna live on. They're gonna be preserved. And then he's like, I'm glad that you left the the guy alive and it's and he quote-unquote his quote-unquote heart is full my point is i just think patroclus is very there's another aspect of his P pov that i don't really like like i don't like just how blind he is you know i feel like it i just Anyway, um, there is some character development. Like, that's literally in chapter 23 out of 33 chapters. So we're two-thirds into the book, and the character development has not started. Because I do think that there, there's some semblance of character development at the very end, where Patroclus, at the very end of Patroclus' life, where he basically, well... I don't know about that. He, there's a few occurrences where he starts to stand up to Achilles, and that's kind of at like the climax part of the book, but it's not at the climax part of his life. So I don't think it really operates as very good character development. I think it's very interesting to um, create this kind of low-key toxic relationship between them, and then have Patroclus kind of wake up to it gradually, but I do not think it's gradual enough. I think that is kind of sudden, and that's why I don't, like, really, really like Patroclus' character in general, because I think it would be better. I think I would probably like him more if the character development happened more slowly, and in a way that is... I don't know, because, okay, the reason why he finally starts, like, mutiny, a like, mutin, mutin, what, what is the verb of mutiny? Hold on. Definition. Oh, apparently mutiny is a verb. Okay, so, the way he first starts to kind of rebel against Achilles is, authority is when Briseis, one of his first, basically his only other friend, is stolen from from Achilles by Agamemnon, and he, um, 
he he's mad because Achilles won't fight for her. And I think in a way that Briseis is like what kind of kickstarts his character development. But this is something I do not like in books, really. I don't like when character development is kickstarted by a, one specific event and by one specific person. Because if you think about it, he's only really standing up to Achilles because there's someone he cares about to almost the same degree, you know? Like, it's someone he personally cares about, so he's going to stand up to Achilles' violence against them. And I guess, I don't know if you'd say this is violence against her, because I personally think, like, it is violence. Silence is violence. He's letting letting Agamemnon do violence against her, so. Yeah, it is violence. But I think it's just kind of weird and, like, annoying, because it seems like the only person that he'll do this for is Briseis. So it's like, you're not necessarily, the character development isn't really working, because you're not necessarily actually becoming a better person. You're not seeing that Achilles is a bad person. You're just seeing that Achilles is doing something bad to your friend. But, like, if he were to, for example, like, when he, um, when he, like, continues to not fight for the troops, he is, he, even after Briseis is returned, he is, again, silence is violence, he's allowing the Greeks to be killed, and those are people that Patroclus does not care about necessarily as much on a personal level as Briseis, and he doesn't stand up to Achilles, he just asks him to do it, you know, like, he doesn't say it very firmly. He doesn't do anything without Achilles' permission. He still is very subservient to Achilles. And it's very... It's weird because at the beginning of the... At, throughout the novel, he's very... He... He doesn't stand up to Achilles' uh, terrible actions. And I don't think he ever stands up to Achilles' actions except for that one time with Briseis. And that was only because... It was someone else he cared about. And I don't think that that's a good way to make character development. Because at that point, it's like, you're not you're not doing this because it's immoral. Like, you're not doing this because Achilles is being immoral. You're doing it because one of your friends is getting hurt. Like, if he... He doesn't seem to care that Achilles is slaughtering Trojans left and right. Not to mention, at the end of the at the end of his life, Patroclus himself is being is slaughtering Trojans and getting high off that off the slaughter. So it's like, is Patroclus a good person or not? Is he, does he become a good person or not? I would argue no. I don't think he becomes a good person. He, I think he was a better person at the beginning than what he was in the end. Honestly. Which actually, now that I think about it, is it is kind of interesting because it is an also it also is an analogy to war. I mean, Patroclus doesn't actually really participate in war, but it's it's interesting to see. And I think Achilles also, to a degree, well, we'll get to Achilles later actually. Um, but I don't really know what to make of care of. Patroclus's character arc because I don't think it outlines a clear message and yeah so that's not that's what I really don't that's why I don't necessarily like about Patroclus as for 
in the way of retellings, like, comparing Patroclus' character to the character in the myth. What I don't like about Patroclus in this, when it comes to the retelling, when it comes to the adaptation, when it comes to how he differs to the original myth, what I don't like about Patroclus' character is that he is so incredibly incompetent in war, specifically. Uh, He's definitely, I mean, he's like a skilled medical professional in a way. I mean, he's not authorized, and that's not his profession, but he clearly has some skill. He's been trained by Chiron. He takes an interest in this thing. What, and I think that's great. I think that that's better to be a medic than a murderer but also he does become a murderer at the end which is interesting um but what i don't like about patroclus is what i don't like about that characterization is that patroclus is in the song of achilles is created as this very very anti I wouldn't say he's necessarily feminine, but he's very non-masculine, you know? Like, the, his presentation, I mean. I don't think that necessarily he's feminine at all, personally. Um, and I don't think that necessarily just because you're not very masculine that you're feminine, because I really think that masculinity and femininity, in my opinion, are very unrelated things. At least that's how I see them. Like, I don't, like, I think that people can have both. And I think that people can have none. And I think that Patroclus is one of those characters who's, who genuinely has neither feminine or masculine energy. He's just this purse. He's just some guy, you know? But what I don't... But he definitely has very subservient energy, which I personally don't see as feminine energy. I don't think they're the same thing at all, which is why I, hes- I hesitate to call, his, to call him someone who is represented as very feminine. But... He is definitely not very masculine. He's not very dominant. He's very submissive, perhaps we would say. Um, And I don't mean, like, physically. I mean, like, in his personality, in the things that... His interests are not traditionally masculine. His personality is not traditionally, you know, violent. He's, He's not violent until the end. Um... But overall, we don't see him as a violent character, and we don't see him as a very masculine or dominant or really pers- very independent person. I think he relies a lot on Achilles, and I think that he is very subservient to Achilles. And I really don't like that, because I, th- I don't know, because, okay, if you think about, like, the Iliad... Achilles and Patroclus are both warriors, you know? I mean, Patroclus is definitely not a very as good of a warrior as Achilles, but he's still a warrior. He's he's a, you know, he's he's a soldier. And I don't I think that soldiers and warriors are very different in in the way we connote them in English at least. Um but Patroclus is a soldier. He knows how to fight to a degree. He's been alive for 10 years while fighting, whereas, and Achilles is obviously just Achilles, like, he's, 
murdering left and right. But I don't think that in, I mean, in the Song of Achilles, Patroclus doesn't even fight at all. Like, he fights for, like, one day, and then Achilles is like, Achilles has to defend him the whole time. But presumably in the Iliad that doesn't happen, right? I don't think there's any line in the Iliad that I recall where it says that Patroclus is incompetent. He's not as good as Achilles, but who is? You know what I mean? I don't like that Achilles... Achilles in the Song of Achilles continues to be this, you know, murder machine. Whereas Patroclus is created as this very, um, very... Again, I don't, I don't think... I don't want to use the word feminine because he's not... I don't think he... I don't think that's correct. I don't think he is feminine. But very physically weak. Uh, very... I guess... Yeah, physically weak. <laughs> weak in general. He's a, he's a weak person in general. He's very... Just weak in general. Um, and... I don't really like that, because I think it, as a retelling, you know, that was written in, what, 2011? Um, in the modern day, our view on gay couples is, like, they're kind of imitating straight couples in the way that there is a feminine and masculine person, or at least someone who's kind of more hard, and then someone's more who's more soft. I guess, or like, you know, dominant or submissive, and I don't, I don't, it just doesn't jibe with me, you know, like, I just don't like that as soon as, you know, the Iliad doesn't place them into a necessarily a romantic relationship, but actually, this is, this is actually another interesting point. Ancient writers, not necessarily during Homer's time, but later, we have the concept of pederasty, right? And that's where there's an older guy who's like uh 40 and a younger guy who's like 15 or something and it's kind of it's it's both a sexual relationship and also like a educational role in a very weird way but anyway that's also a kind of it's kind of, it reflects our, um, in the, in the United States of today, it kind of reflects our conceptions about roles in those, in queer relationships, like, yeah, and obviously that's very problematic, considering the age thing, but we kind of have that, just without the age thing, and without the educational part, just like those roles, and I think that in Homer's Iliad, like, they don't fall into those roles, maybe because they're not in a relationship, but also because those roles possibly didn't exist in Homer's time. Because I, as far as I know, pederasty, we don't have records of that until the 5th century? Now I have to look it up. I don't, I'm not confident in that. Um... Yeah, it seems to have... Yeah, okay. Seems to, apparently, according to Wikipedia, definitely the most credible source, uh, seems to have developed in the late 7th century BC as an aspect of Greek homosocial culture, whereas the Iliad 
was written more, what, 8th century BC? So it is definitely earlier than the concept of pedera- than when the concept of pederasty kind of arose in mainland Greece. It, according to Wikipedia, again, it's it originated in Crete. Um, but anyway, so what I think that I'm not necessarily saying that the author like had this idea in mind to kind of create a pederastic relationship because if I don't, I don't think that that's true, and to say that would be very, I don't, it's just not correct, and would be very defaming towards that author. I, I don't think that Madeline Miller is a bad person, and I don't think that Madeline Miller supports pederasty, and, you know, like, I'm hoping she doesn't. I'm assuming that she doesn't. Any normal person in this day and age doesn't. But... My point is that I think, you know, they are the same age, so it's not weird in that way. But I think that to make Patroclus weaker in personality and physicality and, you know, his, 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 his role in society, obviously medical professionals are very important, nurses, very important, doctors, very important, but not relevant. <laughs> we see Achilles... Achilles' role as a warrior very as in a very uh, strong role, I guess, whereas medicine is not necessarily viewed in that way. And to have Patroclus be this, like, weirdly weak character compared to what he is in the Iliad is just... I think it's kind of supporting roles. Supporting ideas about roles in queer, queer queer relationships that I personally do not agree with. Um, yeah. So, I've talked a lot about Patroclus' character. I think that's really all I had to say, but, um, it's, I've already talked for a while. Uh, I, I think I should just move on to the other characters. Um, Achilles, not much to say. He's not a very good person. He's seen as a very good person by Patroclus, and honestly... We don't ever, like, the things he does in Song of Achilles are not necessarily good. He doesn't assault anyone, unlike what happens in the, in various ancient sources. I think that, I don't think that in the Song of Achilles he should be assaulting people, because we don't want a, a, a romantic, the main character's romantic interest to be rapist um but i think that i don't know i honestly don't know what my thoughts on achilles are i think his character in the song of achilles is very interesting i think i like his characterization honestly i really like it um i don't really have many complaints on his characterization i think it's an interesting i think it's interesting how um Achilles is linked to the idea of war, uh, how he kind of, he's not necessarily very moral in the beginning of the book, but he's not a terrible guy. I think, um, when he goes to war, obviously, he starts becoming less, becoming, I mean, he says some. there's a line in, like, before they go to war, where, uh, they're talking about, like, killing, and they're talking about, like, how Achilles has never actually killed someone, 
And, um, oh, before I, before I continue talking about Achilles, I just wanted to say one more thing about Patroclus real quick. I think it's interesting how his story, how his story begins with him actually killing someone. Because I feel like he, I don't know, it's just interesting. I feel like we could have explored that more. I feel like the author could have talked more about, like, how he deals with death from that moment on. Because I don't think, I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think that is a requirement to talk about it more. But I, th- I would lo- I would have loved to see more from from the book about how Patroclus kills someone. Um, I didn't talk about this in my Trojan War because it wasn't relevant, but basically, well, you can read the book, but basically he accidentally killed a fellow child because that child uh, tried to take something away from him. And, yeah. Um, so they're talking about how uh, like Achilles has never killed someone and he doesn't really know what it's like, and he asks uh, Patroclus, like, what was it like when you killed that kid? And Achilles is like, my father, Achilles says, quote, my father told me once to think of them like animals, the men I kill. I do not think I can do it. Unquote. And... I think this is a good example of Achilles' morality. I don't think that we should necessarily view it as just fear. Because, in a way, you could say that, you know, he's just, like, he doesn't doesn't want to... Killing someone is scary. Like, even if you're not a morally good person, because society sees killing as bad, if you... Even if you don't necessarily have qualms against killing because of your morality you still feel, you don't want to feel like a bad person, right? So, killing someone is scary. But also, I think that we can safely assume that um, Achilles is a good person, especially because later he mentions how Iphigenia, who basically died in front of him while they were they were about to get married, like, they, Iphigenia is Agamemnon's daughter, um, and basically what happened was they they needed to sacrifice her because Agamemnon had offended Artemis the goddess and had to had to sacrifice his daughter before they set sail for Troy because otherwise the winds wouldn't be in their favor and Achilles is there and basically the the way they lure Iphigenia to where they are um they say that she's going to be married to Achilles and so Achilles is right there before he like, right in front of her while she dies. And he says that she he can't, like, stop thinking about it. Um, yeah. This is also interesting. I don't remember, I didn't remember this when I was talking about uh, Patroclus, but Patroclus says, um, it won't be like that when you kill the men. She's a girl, and innocent. These will be men that you fight People who will kill you if you do not strike first. But, like... Also, that's not true. Like, you're going to Troy. Like, the Trojans are not going to kill you. You could just not go to Troy. The only reason why they're going to kill you is because you're... They assume you're here to kill them, right? 
I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a very good justification. But anyway, I could talk on and on about Patroclus's weird relationship to death, but, um, and killing and murder. Um, but I think this illustrates, like, Achilles is definitely a good guy before the war. And then after the war, he kind of, again, just gets drunk on how much power he truly has. And I think we'll talk more about this when it comes to Imperial Rome, actually, because this is a really big thing there. When you are... <laughs> Achilles can basically do anything to anyone when it comes to, like, physical... You know, like, he can kill literally anyone. Alive. And it's interesting to see, because he never... He never uses that power, so he doesn't necessarily, like, he knows it factually, but it doesn't really sink into him that he has power over literally anyone's life. But then he starts to kill all these people, and it's like, he's like, he realizes that he can kill anyone. And at that point, it's like, it's very hard to be a moral person when you realize that you have basically ultimate power. Um, and he doesn't have ultimate power, like, as in political power, but when it comes to battle, he has ultimate power over anyone he fights, which is a very interesting parallel to ancient Rome, actually, and just government in general. Monarchs often become really tyrannical because they start to, they start to, you know, they get a taste of what they can achieve with this power, and they just get drunk on it, you know? I think that that is very interesting. It has some interesting things to say about what war does to people, what power does to people, what what power over other people does to, to, does to someone. Um, it gets to the point where he does not feel any qualms about killing anymore. In fact... It's just, it's just everyday life to him, and he's been desensitized, which is definitely what happens when you go to war and you're there for ten years. Like, I don't think people, when they're reading epics like the the Iliad, they don't, you don't think about these characters' deaths. Like, you get the deaths in a long list of names, but you don't think about how every single one of these deaths is a person, because there are just so many, you know? And I think that is very interesting that Achilles is used to talk about how war is just terrible. Because in the in the ancient sources, he's actually not a good person before the um before the the war. He does some really terrible, messed up things to someone who we'll talk about later. Um, he doesn't kill anyone, but also there's not really anyone to kill uh, for any reason. Um, and I think, I actually really like the fact that Madeline Miller added the fact that Achilles felt a lot of guilt over Iphigenia's death, because it gives us this kind of parallel, um, journey to Patroclus's, where we see Patroclus actually getting, um, like, better, in a way. Very debatable, again, but... At the beginning, he's very, he sees death, 
and also sexual assault as something who that's just normal in their society, you know? And then where, while he, I think, well, it applies more to the sexual assault thing. He, at the beginning of the story, I probably should have talked about this with Patroclus, but at the beginning of the story, he talks about Thetis' sexual assault, not Thetis' sexual assault. Peleus' sexual assault of Thetis. And he's like, this is fine. I mean, like, people do it every day. And then when he meets Briseis, she is kind of like a, she, he, he realizes that, you know, sexual assaults isn't good. Women actually matter, you know? They're actually people who have emotions and can feel trauma. <laughs> um, we'll talk about this later with Thetis too. Uh, but I think, I think it's interesting how those are parallel, you know? Patroclus begins to see over time, you know, he was at first desensitized because of the society they live in, but then as the story goes on, he realizes, like, no, this isn't okay. Just because it happens all the time doesn't mean it's okay, and I'm not going to let my friend be a victim of that. And even before, and this isn't the same case as the, where, like, he's just standing up to Achilles because he says, no, this is, he sees an innocent girl. And he realizes, you know, this is a person. Flesh and blood. Like, he hears these stories of Thetis, and he's like, oh, that's just what happens. But he sees this person about to be chosen by the kings, presumably to be assaulted, and a non-consensual prostitute, basically. Um, well, I don't know. A non-consensual mistress. Because uh, she doesn't get paid. And and he, this isn't someone he knows, but he realizes, you know, this is a person. I'm seeing this with my own eyes. I can't let this happen, you know? And he starts to realize that. And I think that's very interesting because I don't think it's very stressed. It's, it's not stressed very much in the novel how he, that changes, but I do think it's interesting. And Achilles takes the opposite route where war is has made him at the beginning he was good you know and he didn't want to kill people but then war desensitized him to death and he started killing and it was like he didn't even care anymore because this was normal so i think it's very interesting that they kind of had that flipped journey with different topics um i i don't think there's much else i have to say about achilles he's not that interesting in this novel i think yeah, he's just a character. Uh, he's obviously, like, the most important one in the bunch, but he... But beyond that piece of character development, he's very, uh... Very just boring, um, in, ter in terms of characterization. Um... This is gonna be kind of where... I think this is a good spot to, uh, split the, the episode, because, um, it's... I think at the rate I'm going right now, it seems that, like, the majority of my episodes will, will be split into two parts, and this one is no exception. Um, I have a lot more to say, so I'm just going to cut it off here, but again, the two episodes, the two parts will be uploaded at the same, t the same time, so you don't really need to worry about it. Um, also, before I go, I wanted to just, like, apologize for not 
like keeping up with the schedule. I know for for the for the um, even for the regular feed listeners, this is coming out a day late. Uh, I'm posting it a week late for Patreon, um, but that's okay because I don't actually have any subscribers yet. But I could really use some because uh, again, I think it's going to be really lit over there. Like I haven't, I have not yet posted a character. Um, a character episode or amusing but that's because you know since we're just getting started i can't really cover a character until i cover retelling and musings episodes uh, amusing episode is going to be coming out later so this month will not have a character episode probably unless i talk about patroclus or thetis maybe yeah i think i'm i'll probably be talking about thetis in my character episode and um, I'm also going to definitely be talking more about Thetis in the second part of this episode. But if you finish th- the second part of this episode and you're not satisfied and you want to hear more about Thetis, please head on over to my Patreon. It's only $2 a month and you can get, like, there's, like, so many different benefits. And I think it's, personally, I think it's really worth it. But, um, so yeah, if you enjoy my content, if you can... If you have the ability to um, contribute, I would really appreciate it. It's going to be really fun over there, I think. Um, And it also really helps to support my podcast. If you aren't in that position to contribute, um, that's only $1 per two weeks, by the way. Um, If you're not in the position to contribute, contribute contribute um i feel like i haven't heard people say contribute anyway contribution maybe okay anyway so if you're not in a position to contribute that's totally understandable probably i wouldn't be either but um if you're not then don't worry about it the best way to share to uh help the podcast is to share with friends and family and whoever will listen um Word of the mouth is really powerful in today's day and age. A big thing about podcasts is that there are just so many out there and it's really hard to get your podcast, your audience to start growing. And um, I, it will be really helpful if you guys could help me out in that way. Another way you could help is to rate and review the podcast on whatever whatever platform you are listening on because that also really boosts the rankings and helps the podcast get seen and yeah um you can also comment your opinions on the song of achilles as well as any questions etc um by contacting me and you can do that through a variety of ways those are all linked in my um in the in the episode description basically everything is retold pod besides my um besides my email because that was taken um yeah and also visit my website that's retoldpod.card.co it's in the description as well um yeah i think the website i think the website is really nice looking and yeah i spent quite a bit of time on that website so please head on over and check it out and you can also find links to everything and more information over there And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Please tune in right after this episode to episode two, or part two, sorry, part two of this episode. Um, Yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this um, part two, part one of the Song of Achilles. And yeah, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. This has been Retold.